0: Purple.com, sleep better for less, number one in customer satisfaction two years in a row with mattresses online by J.D. Power Award. Pick the right mattress for you, the Purple Mattress, dual-layered comfort foam, Purple Hybrid, breathable response support, Purple Hybrid Premier, less pressure for dreamy, floaty, the adjustable base to make it possible to work, read, and lounge in bed. Bundle up for big savings, 10% off premium bedding and cushion bundles. Kid mattress also place grid and softer form for best support for little sleepers. Enjoy no pressure support with free sheets and two pillows on select mattress. Purchase up to $247 value. That's $247 value. Sleepy Jones on purple pajamas. All day comfort with soft stretch inspired pajamas while you worry about breakfast. Products. Purple harmony pillow, double seat cushion, purple and gravity weighted blanket, purple duvet, choose purple for no pressure support for every body, 30 plus shares and 35 patents, comfort gel grid, technology originally created to make wheelchairs more comfortable than their remembered beds. People love purple, period. Positively, that's P-A-W-S, positively, comfy even for your fur baby. EveryPlate.com Make affordable, crowd-pleasing meals at home. Choose from 14 delicious and affordable recipes that change every week. Everything you need is shipped to your door. Home-cooked delicious, ready in 30 minutes. Save time and skip tedious trips to the grocery store. Save money and enjoy tasty dinners so that won't break the bank at only $4.99 per serving. Easy-to-cook recipes at only six simple sips and will turn you into a chef. And you can skip or cancel anytime. Some examples of meals are sweet chili chicken, super smoke super smash burgers, balsamic glazed pork chops, Tuscan pork meatballs, crispy blue cheese chicken, chicken sausage meatball soup, saucy chicken and pepper stir fry, garlic white sauce flatbreads, caramelized onion leet loaves, loaded baked potato chowder, creamy chicken sausage penne, black bean and pepper jack tostados, garlic t- chili garlic shrimp, crispy chickpea couscous bowls. Just select recipes after signing up, recommended by ninety thousand families. Break the cycle of boring. Good morning, hope you're enjoying your holiday preparations as we look forward to part one of US President number thirty, Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge, born John Calvin Coolidge junior july fourth, eighteen thirty two to january fifth, nineteen thirty three was an American politician and lawyer who served as the 30th President of the United States from 1923 to 1929. A Republican lawyer from New England, born in Vermont, Coolidge worked his way up the ladder of Massachusetts state politics. Eventually becoming governor of Massachusetts, his response to the Boston Police strike of 1990 thrust him into the national spotlight and gave him a reputation as a man of decisive action. The next year, he was elected Vice President of the United States and acceded to the presidency upon the sudden death of Warren G. Harding in 1923. He elected his own right in 1924, he gained a reputation as a small government conservative, and also as a man who said very little and had a rather dry sense of humor. Coolidge restored public confidence in the White House after the candles of his presidency's administration and left office with a considerable popularity. As a Coolidge biographer wrote, he imbibed the spirit of hopes of the middle class, could interpret their longings, and express their opinions. That he did represent the genius of the average is the mis- most convincing proof of his strength. Scholars of rank Coolidge in the lower half of those presidents that they have assessed, he is praised by, by advocates of smaller government and laissez faire economics, while supporters of active central government generally view him Less vividly, although most, praised his stalwart support of racial equality. Early Life and Family History John John Calvin Coolidge, Jr. was born on July 4, 1872, in Plymouth Notch, Windsor County, Vermont, the only U.S. president to be born on Independence Day. He was the elder of the two children of John Calvin Coolidge, Sr., 1845-1926, and Victoria Josephine Moore, 1846-1885, although named for his father, John from early childhood, Cal Coolidge was addressed by his middle name, Calvin. His middle name was selected in honor of John Calvin, considered a founder of the Congregational Church in which Coolidge was raised and remained active throughout his life. Coolidge, Sr., engaged in many occupations and developed a statewide reputation as a prosperous farmer, storekeeper, and public servant. He held various local offices, including justice of the peace and tax collector, and served the Vermont House of Representatives as well as the Vermont Senate. Coolidge's mother was the daughter of a Plymouth Notch farmer. She was chronically ill and died, perhaps from tuberculosis when Coolidge was 12 years old. His younger sister Abigail Grace Coolidge, 1875 to 1890, died at the age of 15, probably of appendicitis when Coolidge was 18. Coolidge's father married a a Plymouth schoolteacher in 1891 and lived to the age of 80. Coolidge's family had deep roots in New England. His earliest American ancestor, John Coolidge, immigrated from Cottenham, Cambridgeshire, England, around 1630 and settled in Watertown, Massachusetts. Coolidge's great-great grandfather, also named John Coolidge, was an American military officer in the Revolutionary War and one of the first selected select men of the town of Plymouth. His grandfather, Calvin. Galicia Coolidge served in the Vermont House of Representatives. Coolidge was also a descendant of Samuel Appleton, who settled in Ipswich and led the Massachusetts Bay Colony during the King Philip's War. Early, mar- early career and marriage, education, and law practice. Coolidge attended Black River Academy and then Saint Johnsbury Academy before enrolling at Amherst College, where he distinguished himself in the debating class. As a senior, he joined the fraternity five- Phi Gamma Delta and Gargic Kum While at Amherst, Coolidge was profoundly influenced by philosophy professor Jar- Charles Edward Garman, a congressional mystic with an annual Hegelian philosophy. Coolidge expanded, who explained Garman's ethics 40 years later. There is a standard of righteousness that might does not make right, that the, that the end does not justify the means, and that expediency as a working principle is bound to fail. The only hope of perfecting human relations is, is in accordance with the law of service, under which men are not so solicitous about what they shall get as they are about what they shall give. Yet people are entitled to the rewards of the industry. What they earn is theirs, no matter how small or how great, but the possession of public carries the obligation to use it in a larger service." At his father's urging after graduation, Coolidge moved to Northampton, Massachusetts, to become a lawyer to avoid the cost of law school. Coolidge followed the common practice of apprenticing with a local law firm, Hammond & Field, and reading law with them. John C. Hammond and Henry P. Field, both Amherst graduates, introduced Coolidge to law practice in the county city of Hampshire County, Massachusetts. In 1897, Coolidge was admitted to the Massachusetts Bar Becoming a country lawyer, with his savings and a small inheritance from his grandfather, Coolidge opened his own law office in Northampton in 1898. He practiced commercial law, believing that he served his clients best by staying out of court. As his reputation as a hard-working and diligent attorney grew, local banks and other businesses began to retain his services. Marriage and family. In 1903, Coolidge met Grace Anna Goodhue, a University of Vermont graduate and teacher at Northampton Clark, Northampton's Clark School for the Deaf. They married on October 4, 1905 at 2.30 p.m. in a small ceremony which took place in the parlor of Grace's family's house, having overcome his future mother-in-law's Objections to the marriage. The newlyweds went on a honeymoon trip to uh, Montreal, rigid planned for two weeks, but cut short by a week at Coolidge's request. After 25 years, he wrote of Grace for almost a quarter of a century, she has borne with my informants, and I have rejoiced in her graces. The Coolidges had two sons: John, September 7, 1906, to May 31, 2000. And Calvin Jr., April 13, 1908 to July 7, 1924, Calvin Jr. died at age 16 from blood poisoning. On June thirtieth, nineteen 1920, Calvin Jr. had played tennis with his brother on the White House tennis courts without putting on socks and developed a blister on one of his toes. The blister sub- subsequently j- degenerated into sepsis, and Calvin Jr. died a little over a week later. The president never forgave himself for Calvin Jr.'s stint. Death. His eldest son said it hurt Coolidge terribly. John became a railroad executive, helped to start the Coolidge Foundation, and was instrumental in creating the President Cabot Coolidge State Historic Site. Coolidge was frugal, and when it came to securing a home, he insisted upon renting. He and his wife attended Northampton, Edward's Congressional Church before and after his presidency. Local political office, 1898 to 1950. City offices. The Republican Party was dominant in New England at the time, and Coolidge followed the example of Hammond and Field by becoming active in local politics in eighteen ninety six Coolidge campaigned for two thousand presidential candidate William McKinley, and the next year he was selected to be a member of the Republican city committee in eighteen ninety eight He won election to the city council of Northampton, placing a second in a ward where the top three candidates were elected. The, the position offered no salary but provided. Coolidge invaluable political experience. In 1899, he declined renomination, running instead for city solicitor, a position elected by the city council. He was elected for one for a one-year term in 1900 and re-elected in 1901. This position gave Coolidge more experience as a lawyer and paid a salary of $600, equivalent to $18,439 in 2019. In 1902, the city council selected a Democrat for city solicitor, and Coolidge returned to private practice. Soon thereafter, however, the clerk of courts for of the county died and Cooler chosen to replace him. The position paid well, but barred him from practicing law, so he remained at the job for only one year. In 1904, Cooler suffered his sole defeat at the ballot box, losing an election. To the Northampton School Board, when told that some of his neighbors voted against him because he had no children in the schools he would govern, he recently married Coolidge, repl- the recently married Coolidge replied, "Might give me time. Massachusetts State Legislature and Mayor In 1906, the local Republican committee nominated Coolidge for a re-election to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. He won a close victory over the incumbent Democrat and reported to Boston for the 1907 session of the Massachusetts General Court. In his freshman term, Coolidge served on minor committees, and although he was usually voted with the party, he was known as a progressive Republican voting in favor of such measures as women's suffrage and the direct election of Senators. While in Boston, Coolidge became an ally and then a leagueman of the U.S. Senator Winthrop Murray Crane, who controlled the Western faction of the Massachusetts Republican Party. Crane's party rival in the east of the Commonwealth, was U.S. Senator Henry Cabot Lodge, Coolidge forged another key strategic alliance with Guy Courier, who had served in both state houses and a social distinction, wealth, personal charm, and broad circle of friends, which Coolidge lacked and which would have a lasting impact on his political career. In 1907, he elected to a second second term, and in 1908 session, Coolidge was more outspoken, though not in a leadership position. Instead of vying for another term in the state. House Clues returned home to his growing family and ran for mayor of Northampton when the incumbent Democrat retired. He was well liked in the town and defeated his children by a vote of one thousand five hundred and ninety-seven to four thousand four hundred and nine. During his first term, nineteen ten to nineteen eleven, he increased teacher size, retired some of the city's debt, while still managing to effect a slight tax decrease. He was renominated in nineteen eleven and defeated the same opponent by a slightly larger margin. In 1911, the state senator for the Hampshire County area retired and successfully encouraged Coolidge to run for a seat for the 1912 session. Coolidge defeated his Democrat opponent by a large margin and at the start of that term he became chairman of a committee to arbitrate the bread and roses strike by the, roses, by the workers of the American Woolen Company in Lawrence, Massachusetts. After two tenths months, the company agreed to the workers' demands and the settlement proposed by the committee. A major issue affecting Massachusetts Republicans that year was the party split between the Progressive Wing, which favored Theodore Roosevelt, and the Conservative Wing, which favored William Howard Taft. Although he favored some progressive measures, Coolidge refused to leave the Republican Party when the new Progressive Party declined to run a candidate in his state Senate district. Coolidge won reelection against the Democrat opponent by an increased margin. Do the day's work, if it is to protect the rights of the weak, whoever objects to do it if it is to help a powerful corporation do that. Expect to be called a stand patter, but don't be a stand patter. Expect to be called a demagogue, but don't be a demagogue. Don't hesitate to be as uh, revolutionary as science, but do that don't hesitate to be as reactionary as a multi-creation table, don't expect to build up the weak by pulling down the strong. Don't hurry to legislate gives the administration a chance to catch up with legislation in the nineteen thirteen session. Coolidge enjoyed renowned success in arduously ardu- ardu- navigating to passage the Western Trolley Act, which connected Northampton with a dozen similar industrial communities to Western Massachusetts. Coolidge intended to do to retire after a second term as was the custom, but when President of the State Senate, Levi H. Greenwood, considered running for lieutenant governor. Coolidge decided to run again for the Senate in hopes of being elected as a presiding officer, although Greenwood later decided to run for re-election to the Senate. He was defeated primarily due to his opposition to women's suffrage. Coolidge was a favorite of the women's vote, won his own re-election, and with with Crane's help assumed the presidency of a closely divided Senate. After his election in January of 1914, Coolidge delivered a published and a frequently quoted speech entitled "Have Faith in Massachusetts," which summarized his philosophy of government. Coolidge's speech was well received, and he attracted some admirers on its account. Towards the end of the term, many of them were proposing his name for nomination to lieutenant governor after winning re-election to the Senate by an increased margin in the 1940 election. Coolidge was re-elected unanimously to be president of the Senate. Coolidge's supporters, led by Fellow Amherst alumnus Frank Stearns encouraged him to run again to run for Lieutenant Governor. Stearns as executive with the Boston Department store H. R. Stearns became another key ally and began a publicly a publicity campaign on Coolidge's behalf before he announced his candidate at the end of the 1915 legislative session. Lieutenant Governor and Governor of Massachusetts, nineteen sixteen to nineteen twenty one. Coolidge ended the primary election for lieutenant governor was nominated to run alongside gubernatory candidate Samuel W. McCall. Coolidge was the le- leading vote-getter in the primary, Republican primary and balanced the Republican ticket by adding Western presidents to McCall's eastern base of support McCall and Coolidge won the 1950 election to the irrespective one-year terms, with Coolidge defeated his opponent by more than 50,000 votes. At Massachusetts... In Massachusetts, the Senate Governor does not preside over state, the State Senate, as is the case in many other states. Nevertheless, as Lieutenant Governor, Coolidge was a Deputy Governor, functioning as Administrative inspector, inspector, and was a member of the Governor's Council. He was also Chairman of the Finance Committee and the Pardons Committee. As a full-time elected official, Coolidge just continued his law practice in 1916, though his family continued to live in Northampton. McCall and Coolidge were both re-elected in 1916 and again in 1917. When McCall decided that he would not stand for a first term, Coolidge announced his intention to run for governor. 1918 election: Coolidge was unopposed for the Republican nomination for governor of Massachusetts in 1918. He and his running mate Channing Cox, a Boston lawyer and speaker of the Massachusetts House of Representatives, ran on the previous administration's record fiscal conservative a vague opposition to a prohibition, support for women's suffrage, and support for American involvement in World War I. The issue of the war proved divisive, especially among Irish and German Americans. Closed was elected by a margin of 16,773 votes over his opponent, Richard H. Long, in the smallest margin of victory of any of his statewide campaigns. Boston Police Strike in 1919, in reaction to a plan of the policeman of the Boston Police Department to register with the Union, Police Commissioner Edwin D. U. Curtis announced that such an act would not be tolerated. In August of that year, the American Federation of Labor issued a charter to the Boston Police Union. Curtis declared the Union's leaders were guilty of insubordination and would... Beer relieved of duty, but indicated he would cancel their suspension if the union was dissolved by September 4th. The mayor of Boston, Andrew Peters, convinced Curtis to delay his action for a few days, but with no results, and Curtis suspended the union leaders on September 8th. The following day, about three-quarters of the policemen in Boston went on strike, tacit- tacitly but, but fully in support of Curtis' position, closely monitored the situation, but initially deferred to the local authorities. He anticipated that only a resulting measure of lawlessness, so could sufficiently prompt the public to understand and appreciate the controlling principle that a policeman does not strike. That night and the next, there was sporadic violence riot and rioting in the unruly city. Peters, concerned about sympathy strikes by the firemen and others, called up some units of the Massachusetts National Guard, stationed in the Boston area, pursuant to an old and old, an obscure legal authority, and relieved Curtis of duty. Your assertion that the commissioner was wrong, cannot justify the wrong of leaving the city unguarded that furnished the opportunity. The criminal element furnishes the action. There is no right to strike against the public safety by any, anywhere, anytime. I am equally determined to defend the sovereignty of Massachusetts and to maintain the authority and jurisdiction over her public offices where it has been placed by the Constitution and laws of her people. Telegram from Governor Calvin Cooler to Samuel Gompers, September 14, 1919. Cooler sense of severity of citizens were then in need of his intervention conferred with Cranes operative William Butler and then acted. He called up more units of the National Guard, restored Curtis to office, and took personal control of the police force. Curtis proclaimed that all the of the strikes were fired from their jobs. Oh. Curtis proclaimed that all the strikers were fired from their jobs, and Coolidge called for a new police force to be recruited. That night, Coolidge received a telegram from AFL leader Samuel Gombrus. Whatever disorder has occurred, Gombrus wrote, is due to Curtis' order in which the right of the policeman has been denied. Coolidge publicly answered Gombrus' telegram, denying any justification whatsoever for the strike, and his response launched him into the national consciousness. Newspapers across the nation picked up the Coolidge as a statement, and he became the newest hero, to opponents of the strike in the midst of the red, first red Square, in the midst of the first Red square, many Americans were terrified of the spread of the communist revolution, like those that had taken place in Russia, Hungary, Hungary, and Germany. While Coolidge had lost some friends among organized labor, conservatives across the nation had seen a rising star. Although he acted, usually acted with deliberation, the Boston Police strike gave a national reputation as a decisive leader and a strict enforcer of law and order. 1919 election. Coolidge and Cox were renominated for their respective offices in 1919. By this time, Coolidge's supporters, were specifically, especially Stearns, had publicized his actions in the police strike around the state and the nation, and some of Coolidge's speeches were published in book form. He faced the same opponent as... I- as in 1918, Richard Long, but this time Coolidge defeated him by 125,101 votes, more than seven times his margin of victory from a year earlier. His actions in a police strike combined with a massive electoral victory led to the suggestion that Coolidge run for president in 1920. Legislation and Vetoes of Governor By the time Coolidge was inaugurated on January 2, 1919, the First World War had ended and Coolidge would push the legislature to give a $100 bonus is close to $1,475 in 2019. To Massachusetts veterans, he also signed a bill reducing the work week for women and children from 54 hours to 48, saying, we must humanize the industry or the system will break down. He signed a a law of budget that kept the tax rates the same, while trimming $400 million from expenditures, thus allowing the state to retire some of its debt. Coolidge also wielded the veto pen as governor. He most publicized his most publicized veto prevented an increase in legislature's pay by 50 percent. Although Coolidge was personally opposed to prohibition, he vetoed a bill in May 1920 that would have allowed the sale of beer or wine of 2.75 percent alcohol or less in Massachusetts, violation of the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Opinions and instructions do not outmatch the Constitution," he said in his veto message. Against it, they are void. Vice Presidency, 1921 to 1923. 1920 election. At the 1920 Republican National Convention, most of the were selected by state party caucuses, not primaries. As such, the field was divided among many local favorites. Coolidge was one such candidate, while he played, placed high as high as 6th in the voting. The powerful party bosses running the convention, primarily the party's U.S. senators, never considered him seriously. After 10 bells, the bosses and the and then the delegates selected on Senator Warren G. Harding, of Ohio, as their nominee for president. When the time came to select the vice presidential nominee, the bosses also made and announced their decision on whom they wanted. Senator Irwin Lenward of Wisconsin and then prematurely departed after his name was put forth, relying on the rank and file to confirm their decision. A delegate from Oregon, Wallace McCammack, having read Having Faith, have faith in Massachusetts because propose Coolidge for Vice President instead. The suggestion caught on quickly with the masses, starving for an act of independence from their absent bosses, and Coolidge was unexpectedly nominated. The Democrats nominated another Ohioan, James N. Cox, for President and the Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Franklin D. Roosevelt, for Vice President. The question of the United States joining the League of Nations was a major issue in the campaign, as was the unfinished legacy of progressivism. Harding ran a front porch campaign from his home in Marion, Ohio, but Coolidge took on, took to the campaign trail in the Upper South, New York, and New England. His audience is carefully limited to those familiar with Coolidge and those placing a premium upon concise and short speeches. On November 2, 1920, Harding and Coolidge were victorious in a landslide, winning more than 6% of the popular vote, including every state outside the South. They also won in Tennessee, the first time a public ticket had won a southern state since the Re- Reconstruction. Silent Cow. The U.S. Vice President did not carry many official duties, but Coolidge was invited by President Hard to attend cabinet meetings, making him the first Vice President to do so. He gave a number of unremarkable speeches around the country. As, a vice, as the U.S. Vice President, Coolidge and his victorious, vivacious wife, Grace, were invited to quite a few parties where the legend of Silent Cow was born. It is from this time that most of the jokes and anecdotes involving Coolidge originate, such as Coolidge being silent in five languages. Although Coolidge has, was known to be a skilled and effective public speaker, in private he was a man of few words and was commonly referred to as Silent Cow. An, an apocryphal story has it that a person seated next to him at dinner said to her, I made a bet today that I could get more than two words out of you. He replied, you lose. However, an epitaphic 22nd, 1923, Coolidge himself said that you lose quotation never occurred. The story about it was related to Frank B. Noyes, president of the Associated Press, to their membership at their annual luncheon at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel when toasting and introduced to Coolidge who was, invited, who was the invited speaker after the introduction and before his prepared. remarks, Coolidge said to, mem- to the membership, your president referring to Noyes has given you a perfect example of one of those rumors now current in Washington which is without any Foundation Dorothy Parker, upon learning that Coolidge had died, her pulling in mind, how can they tell? Coolidge often seemed uncomfortable among fashionable Washington society. When asked why he continued to attend so many of their dinner parties, replied, got to eat somewhere. Alice Roosevelt Longworth, a leading Republican wit, underscored Coolidge's as and his dour personality. When he wished he were elsewhere, he pursued his He pursed his lips folded his arm and said nothing. He looked then, precisely as though he had been weaned on a pickle. As President Coolidge's reputation as a quiet man continued, the words of a president have an enormous weight. He would later rewrite, Not, not to be used indiscriminately. Coolidge is aware of his stiff reputation. Indeed, he cultivated it. I think the American people want a solemn ass as president. He once told Ethel Barrymore, And I think I will go along with them. Some historians, such as Coolidge's images, image was created deliberately as a campaign tactic, while others believe he has withdrawn a quiet behavior to be natural, deepening after the death of his son in 1924. Presidency 1923 to 1929. On August 2, 1923, President Harding died unexpectedly of a heart attack in San Francisco while on. A speaking tour of the western United States. Vice President Coolidge was not visiting his family home, which had neither electricity nor a telephone, when he received word by messenger of Harding's death. The vice president dressed, said a prayer, and came downstairs to greet the reporters who had assembled. His father, an ordinary public and justice of peace, administered the oath of office to, in the family's parlor by the light of a kerosene lamp at 2.47 a.m. on August 3, 1923, and Callister returned to bed as president. Cooley returned to Washington the next day and was sworn in again by Justice Adolph A. Holling Jr. of the Supreme Court of the District of Columbia to forestall any questions about the authority of a state official to administer a federal oath. The second oath taking. Remained a secret until it was revealed by Harry M. Daugherty in 1932 and confirmed by Holling. When Holling confirmed Daugherty's story, he indicated that Daugherty, then serving as United States Attorney General Assen to administer the oath without fanfare at the Willard Hotel, according to Holling, he did not question Daugherty's reason for requesting a second oath taking, but assumed it was to resolve any doubts about whether the first swearing-in was valid. President Coolidge signed an appropriation bill for the Veterans Bureau on the South Lawn during the garden party for a wounded Veterans, June 5, 1924. General John James Pershing is at. The nation initially did not know what to make of Coolidge, who had maintained a low profile in the Harding administration, many even expected him to be replaced on the ballot in 1924. Coolidge believed that those of Harding's men under suspicion were entitled to every presumption of innocence, taking a methodical approach to the scandals principally the Teapot Dome scandal, while others clamored for rapid punishment of those who they presumed guilty. Coolidge thought the Senate investigation of scandals would suffice that it was this was affirmed by the resulting resignation of those involved. He personally intervened and in demanding the resignation of Attorney General Harry M. Dougherty after he refused to cooperate with the congressional probe. He then set about to confirm that no loose ends remained in the administration, arranging for a full briefing of the wrongdoing, Harry A. Slattery reviewed the facts with him, Harlan Mill Stone analyzed the legal aspects for him, and Senator William E. Boras and uh, uh, William E. Boras Edson presented the political factors. Koolidge addressed Congress when it reconvened on December 6th, 1923, giving a speech that supported many of Harding's policies including Harding's formal budgeting process, the enforcement and immigration restrictions and arbitration of coal strides ongoing in Pennsylvania. Coolidge's speech was the first president's speech to be broadcast over the radio. The Washington Naval Treaty was proclaimed just one month into Coolidge's term and was generally well received in the country. In May 20, in May 1920, the World War I Veterans World War Adjusted Composition Act, or bonus bill, was passed over as veto. Coolidge signed the Immigration Act later that year, which was aimed at restricting southern and eastern European Immigration, but appended a signing statement expressing his unhappiness with the bills specific exclusion of Japanese immigrants. Just before the Republican Convention began, Kooli signed the Law Revenue Act of 1924, which reduced the top marginal tax rate from 58% to 46%, as well as a personal income tax rate across the board, increased the estate tax, and bolstered it with a new gift tax. On June second, nineteen 1924, Congress signed the act granting citizenship to all Native Americans born in the United States. By that time, two-thirds of the people were already citizens, having gained it through marriage, military service. Veterans of World War I were granted citizenship in 1919, or the land, all, and, or the land allotment that had earlier taken place. thank you listen to this part of. Calvin Coolidge, U.S. President number 30. Stay tuned next week to part two. Have a safe week as we venture into 2022 with the coronavirus still pending. As we look forward to the normalcy now the vaccines are out, if that can never happen. And as always, thank you for listening and have a good week.